blessings to all of you. Happy Easter. He is risen. He's alive. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I know a lot of us had to make a real decision to come because the weather isn't great. It's kind of cloudy out. You know, there are a lot of Easter's where I I wake up and from where I am in the city, uh, I can see at least the tip of Mount Davidson. A lot of times it's sunny in the morning and it's just starting to, it just feels like Easter. But today it was gray and it was, it wasn't so, it didn't feel like, uh, you know, a lot of times how I associate the classic Easter morning. And yet I can assure you, besides the fact that really impressed that you made it a priority to come and to acknowledge Jesus on this special day as people all over the world are doing, billions of people are doing it and have already celebrated and are now acknowledging. It's a marking point. It's a, it's a reminder that we are connected to a larger group of people and into a larger movement that spans beyond time. And, um, but I said that because I feel like even when it's cloudy and even when it's rainy and even when it's, it's not great outside, I assure you, behind the clouds, the sun is shining. And so it is with the Lord in our lives. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this partly, um, you know, we, we celebrate Easter, you know, in a kind of unique way now that we have the two campuses. We, we have uh, this service and um, the one that we did earlier here at the Lake Merced campus. But right now, going on, on the Mission campus, they're having this artistic presentation that's celebrating the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And the three that were going on today, 9, 11, and 1, that theoretically... It is possible by the time this service ends, if you haven't seen it, you'll have about 25 minutes to half an hour to make it over to the Mission Campus and take it in. It's really good. It's very artistic. It's very different. Mine, uh, what, the way we're going to approach it is, is going to be through the lens of Scripture. And I'm going to talk about some specific things that I'd like to highlight and get us to think about in the, in the small amount of time that we have together. But um, I can't, I, I just, you know, I found myself reflecting on what happened last week. And I, I just didn't feel like I could run past it. You know, we have such blessings. We, we, we can safely come here and uh, sit in a safe environment and, and, and celebrate Jesus. But I was just reminded about, you know, what happened as I've been thinking about what happened in Kenya and uh, the 147 or, or 8, I don't know what the number exactly is now, who, you know, they, they were just... The only reason they were killed was because they were Christians. That was it. Now, I know there's a lot of crazy things being done right now, and a lot of other people are being, you know, affected by that, not just Christians. But I'll tell you, there is an unusual amount of focus just on those. I mean, they singled them out, just like they did with the Egyptian Coptics who, had their, who were killed as well. And, um, you know, we, we take for granted sometimes the, the safety, the comfort that we share. But I assure you there are hundreds and thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people in other parts of the world who for them to make a decision to go to the Lord's house is a risky thing. And it costs some of them their lives this week just being someone who acknowledged Jesus. So what we do has meaning. It has value. Now, what Jesus did affects everything. It changes everything. It it changes even death. Um, One thing about what the Lord taught us is that we are to live as a people of life not of death, because death is not the final word, life is. Having said that, I want to pray. I want to pray for God's blessing to just rest over the short time that we have, knowing, by the way, that not all of us came here necessarily because we were wanting to. 
Some of us felt like we had to because it was maybe something our family was doing. Others of us just felt like, ah, it's probably something I should do. We'll see what happens. My prayer is that all of us, as much as we can, would be affected. And more than just as a religious thing that we would do, that would have some value, I suppose, as a good thing. But that's not what our, that's not my goal. It's not what I hope our goal is because I'm hoping that something in the life of God, the, li the life of the living Jesus would be present among us. And that through his words, in some way, it might speak to us wherever we are. Some of us are, are very young. Some of us are a lot older. But how the Lord would speak, this is something that I'm looking forward to seeing and hearing. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to bless um, what we're about to do. And I say, Lord Jesus, I, I look forward to just this, these few minutes we're about to share. And I take them not for granted because we'll never know, Lord, when, when you know what? We won't always necessarily have an opportunity to do even what we're doing. I, I thank you for it. I thank you for the privilege of being able to share together. And I pray that each one of us, as best as we can, would, would take some time to do something really important. If we made a decision to be here, then would you give us the gift of being able to, to really have an openness and to really hear just for a few minutes, to take our own lives and to sit with them as we look at some of the things you taught us about what happened on that day of resurrection. I really pray for that. I ask that in your wonderful, beautiful, your wonderful, beautiful, loving name, the name of Jesus, the saving name. Amen, Lord. Um, our series for the past few weeks and months was designed to take us here. We intentionally called it Transforming Life, partly because we were looking at the life of John, the disciple, and talking about how Jesus was transforming his life along the way. We also mentioned how Jesus would ultimately go through the cross and transform life through his death by bringing new life to us and how that life could, could change our life. And that's what we zeroed in on, how the life of the living Jesus could transform our lives if we would let him. And a lot of times it's in the places of greatest brokenness and our greatest weakness when God can show up in his most extraordinary ways. I think sometimes it's because there we're robbed or stripped of some of our pride. And in these places where we're humble or at least more open, we find that the Lord is present to meet us right there. And so, so much about what we're going to look at here that happened on that first Easter morning is about the Lord is still wanting to meet you and me wherever we are in the story of our life. So let's look at this. John 20. We're going to read through the passage, sit with it for a bit. John 20, early on Sunday morning. There it is. We've been celebrating Sunday morning in a special day ever since. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. As you know, as we consider the Apostle John's account of the resurrection, we need to remember that there is much that we are not told about what happened on that marvelous day, that marvelous morning. You know, we're really just given, I guess, selections, like a broad stroke. Most of what John tells us of that resurrection day um, is what took place in kind of a rapid fire sequence in the morning. And even though the, the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, offer other details, and that's a great way to look at the life of Christ through the lens of the four gospels because they complement, intertwine, and illuminate in different ways. So you get a kind of mosaic picture when you bring them all together. But even if you bring them all together, and a lot of time is devoted to the last week of the life of Jesus in all four of the Gospels, which talk about the life of Christ, the bottom line is this. There is still more unsaid about what happened on that 
first Easter morning than there is said. There's a, there's a whole lot more that we were not told than what we are told. And so we need to enter into it with a degree of humility. But what we do know is that on that first Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Jesus had been crucified on Friday. He was in the tomb before it was dark. That first day, Friday, Saturday, now the third day, it says Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. Now, we, can't, we shouldn't run past this too quickly because who was Mary Magdalene? Um, we know that when she had left, we, we told it that she, she arrives in the chill of the early morning but while it was still dark. But what we know is that it was dark when she left, but by the time she got there, the sun had risen. And we also know that she wasn't alone from the other Gospels. They tell us that as well. But the idea is that Mary had been a follower of Jesus. She wasn't just anyone. Um, she was someone who had loved Jesus in a very healthy way, but in an extraordinarily devoted way. Part of the uniqueness of her love for Jesus and her sense of loyalty to him was connected to the brokenness of her past. She was someone who had been a spiritually tormented person. And no doubt her mind, her body, her entire person had been very afflicted. She was sick and she had been hurting. And when her paths crossed with Jesus, she was, she was in a stunning way, if you read about it, delivered. Um, the Bible actually describes it in Luke by saying it was a spiritual exchange that occurs and that she was freed and loose from her bondage, that Jesus literally set her free from spiritual bondage. And she started seeing and, and things differently. She had been forgiven much. And so Jesus said, she's one who loved much. And it's sort of like that. The, a lot of times, you know, the more we feel that, that, that we have been forgiven, the deeper the love. And sometimes that's the gift. Okay. That can even be the gift of failure because then we get reminded of the grace of God. Do I want to fail? No. Do we want to fall short? No. But it is in those places sometimes when we are our own worst enemy that we meet the grace of God in its most extraordinary way. And all we can say is that someone like Mary was exactly like that. She had such a deep love for Jesus, even though he had not been what he had said he was and what they thought he was, because he, they believed him to be Messiah, the very Son of God, that in some way he was the promised one. But clearly he wasn't, because when he died, he died awful. And it was emphatic, and it was crushing. And every one of his most committed followers, including Mary, could only see in the cross utter defeat. But she still loved him. And so one of the things they wanted to do, because Jesus had been hastily buried, two wealthy men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who had not been earlier in, the life, in their lives willing to come out public on behalf of Jesus. It was interesting. They, those two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, operated in a climate of collegiality, which maybe some of us can relate to, where their work environment made it very difficult them, for them to really declare their love for Jesus. As a result, they exercised a degree of, of we would call, uh, almost like a clandestine faith. It was secretive. It was, it was not something that they, they talked a lot about. They did, 
they, they couldn't afford to run the risk of losing what they felt were a lot of their entire social circle. So they, they were secret followers of Jesus. And in the moment of his death, they decided they had to do something. And they, they asked Pilate to have the privilege of being able to bury the dead body of Jesus. And they wanted everybody. So in a way, Jesus' death allowed them to have an opportunity to step out courageously in a way they had never done before. Well, they, they didn't have a lot of time because in the Jewish faith, when you are getting close to Sabbath, by the time it gets dark, you can't work. So they had to hastily get his body down, wrap it up, at, not well, but as tenderly as they could. They had a grave. It, it was borrowed. It was a rich man's grave. They were able to put him in the tomb. They had the tomb covered. It was sealed because the the... The enemies of Jesus wanted to make sure that there would be no question about what could have happened to the body, so they set guards and they had the tomb sealed. And so when Mary's making her way there, her assumption is Jesus is, is dead, but she would like to now by Sunday, if possible, ask for permission to give him at least a proper uh, burial. That if not, Yeah, he wasn't who he said he was, but he was a, an amazing man that God used and and. and and I would like to honor him. And a lot of the women felt the same way. And, and they came that morning to honor Jesus. John says it was Mary. And he emphasizes her. And look what it says. She came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And immediately that, that, that bothered and concerned her. What, what's happened? What occurred here? Um, she's not sure. She, perhaps um, they moved his body um, and not told us. Um, maybe someone has, has agreed to let it be taken somewhere else. She didn't know. She begins to panic. Look what happens next. She starts to run. She runs back to where the disciples are. Look what it says in verse 2. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Okay, interesting here, by the way, because whenever John refers to himself, he refers to himself this way the other disciple, the one that he loved, right? It's, it's classic John, third person. doesn't even say his name. But he found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And, and, I, and so, but oh, it's, it's remember now, um, what do we see here? We see that Peter and John are together. Why is that a big deal? It's a huge deal because, remember what had happened to Peter? He had been so confident in his loyalty to Jesus Remember when Jesus said, I'm about to die? I will rise. He didn't hear that part. What he did hear was, anybody who comes for you, they got to come through me. And when he was, when Jesus was being betrayed by Judas, and when he was beginning to be taken captive with armed men, Peter pulled out the sword. And he swung that sword. And he meant it. And he swung it not to miss. And if it wasn't for Jesus, he probably would have died in that melee. But Jesus said, put away the sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. All things are as they should be. And he, and he, and he let his captors take him. And Peter ran like all the other disciples. Remember, Peter had been willing to fight for Jesus. That was his gift. That was his strength. That's what he knew. But later on, he wants to know what happens to Jesus. He's following from afar. He's warming himself around the place where Jesus is, hoping that maybe he'll see him. There's a fire in the early morning. He's warming himself around. There's strangers. He doesn't know who they are. He's making sure they don't know who he is. And someone says, hey, aren't you one of those, those like, uh, Jesus guys? 
those followers of Jesus? No, that's not me. I'm, I have nothing to do with that, right? No? Somebody else you must be thinking. You know, I don't look like him, really, if you look closely. <laughs> a little bit while longer, another young lady says, this, uh, girl says, no, I, you know what? Someone says, you, you, you sound like him. Because you know, you have like a, see, in their day, they had northerners and southerners. And in the north, the Galilee, you had a kind of different uh, dialect. It was like a, the, the, you could tell the difference between those who were from the south and those who were from the north. And they said, you sound like one of the, one of the, the you sound like someone who would be connected to this Jesus. Not me, I'm telling you, I have nothing to do with the man. Just a coincidence, maybe, that's all. I have nothing to do with him, I don't know. And by the third time he was asked, he he utterly, does, he denounces Jesus. He denounces him. And there's this moment, because Jesus told him, when that happens, the, the, the rooster's going to crow. And it just so happens that Jesus was being led out of the temple at the same time Peter finishes his final denunciation. One of the versions says that it was, uh, he cursed. He cursed. I do not know the man. And then the rooster crows. Then Jesus is being led out at the same time, and he looks at him. All those things, boom, boom, boom. And he was devastated. Utterly crushed. What did I do? I believe that Peter would have probably done what Judas did. Because what Judas did, he ended up killing himself. The Bible says that Peter went out and he wept, but the Bible says he wept bitterly. There's a difference between weeping and weeping bitterly. It was like from just gushing out of the man. And, I, and here's the thing. We don't know who found who. I don't think Peter found John. You know what I think? John found Peter. When we are in that dark place, you guys, remember, Peter's strength was not able to sustain him when the situation changed and required a different gift. He needed his brother to be there. When we are in that place... Do not isolate. When we're in a low place, when we feel like we have failed, miserably failed, when we are experiencing maybe even cognitive dissonance and that a part of us cannot figure this out, that we're stuck or we're, we're falling apart, I think Peter, you know, it's an interesting verse. Uh, Peter, earlier Jesus told him, just bear with me on He had said to him earlier, he says, Simon, Simon, um, now, I don't want to scare anyone, but this is what Jesus said. He said, Simon, I have to tell you something. This is earlier. He said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. And when you look at that word in the original language, it implies that he wants to separate you from the inside out. He wants to destroy your mind. He, he literally wants to tear you apart from the inside out. But this is what Jesus said. But I have prayed for you. And after you are restored, so Jesus is already anticipating his failure. After you are restored, don't you ever forget, you strengthen your brethren. Well, Peter is not there yet. You know where Peter is? He's in the sifting. And John finds him. And I think John helps him. He's, he's, he's there. He's present. You remember what we talked about? Some of you who were here who were last week heard the message. You remember when we were talking about how Jesus was being led out, and we talked about the, the humility of God, that he would allow himself not just to suffer, but to be utterly weak. Think about this. Jesus 
when they, when the Romans finished with Jesus, because he was on the cross, remember, as they were getting him ready, they, once, you, once he got handed over to these guys who had the bloodlust and they didn't care, they'd done it a hundred times before, it was like Jesus was just some common prisoner to play with and, and maybe have more fun with. And so they, he, Jesus had already been beaten. Remember, he's a... He's been beaten already twice. He gets to the Romans. They, they, man, they just, they, they toy with him. They, they lacerate his back to pieces. Um, he's bleeding. He's weak. And then they have fun. And I, you know, one of the, one of the, there's a lot of shows that have attempted movies that have tended to portray Jesus. But in Jesus of Nazareth, I remember the one moment where the, they, they captured that scene where Jesus is there. And he's, you can tell, he's 30. He's in his prime. But he's getting weak. And he's almost dazed. This is the Lord, the Lord of glory, whose only sin was that he loved. And he is representative of what happens when the worst of humanity shows up. And they got him, and they, they were toying with him. The way it was captured is after they had him, they said, where's his robe? Where's his robe? Put on the robe. They put the robe on. Hail, king of the Jews. Hey, he needs, he needs a crown. He needs a crown. Okay, they find, get a, a thorn bush. Take it out. Rabbit, ha, ha, yeah, yeah, we'll put this. Come on, come on, turn around, turn around. And they stick it on there, and then the blood just comes coming down. And Jesus is, is like, is like he, he basically can barely stand. Then they twirl him around. Get her and lead him out to die. You can carry your cross. We're going to hammer you on it. You're going to carry it through the streets. Put it on his back. He's trying. He's trying. God's son. Trying. Can't. When we said he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. After a while, he, he couldn't. And they call a man out randomly from the crowd. We later on will know his name because he will become a follower of Jesus. The risen Jesus. Man from Africa, Simon from Cyrene, randomly called Simon, but they didn't say his name. You come here, help this man carry his cross. He was just watching, like so many other people, watching the whole thing take place. Me, you get over here. They have him. He helps Jesus carry the cross. What did that tell me? It's the same principle. There are going to be times when we're if, look. If Jesus was weak enough and allowed himself to weaken that he couldn't carry his own cross, there are going to be times we're going to need someone else to help us, and God's going to send them. And, and that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We'll need that from time to time. Simon and, Pete and John are together. That's good. Because what happens when Mary gets there, she says, you're not going to believe what's happened. They've taken the body of Jesus. They've removed it. They've stolen it. We don't know where they put it. Maybe they didn't tell us. You've got it. And now look what happens here. Okay, now we're going to move a little bit more rapidly. It says that Peter, right here, right? She ran, verse 2, found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Yes, John. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, we have no idea where they've moved it to. They put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. And they were both running. But with great humility, he says, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I like that. He threw that detail in there. Yeah, you know, I kind of beat him to the tomb. And what happens now, you can go there today and... We can't say 100% that's the tomb of Jesus. There's competing places. Maybe one's true, maybe one's not. What we do know, it looked a lot like that if it wasn't. 
John gets in, and if you go there, you could see it. He would, you would, you would have an opening. It's like a sepulcher. You would, you would, you could look down into it. Into it, it's just, he's not so big. On it would be maybe a slab of, of stone where a body would be laid. But there's an opening, and you could peer into the opening. So John, again, if we read the text, probably <laughs> he's there. He's running. He got there first. He can't even see Peter. He's looking into the. <laughs> he's looking in. Uh, I'm a, I'm a look, and he's looking in, and he and we're told that he stoops to look in, and something we're told happens that he notices. He notices. It says that they were both outran. He stooped. He looked in. He saw. He 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 saw the linen wrappings lying there. But but so he saw some things in there. I'm going to talk about what he saw in a moment when I describe Peter, because it's more than what it says. But he decides that he's not going to go in. He's just pondering. Well, look at the, look at the personalities here. Peter, <clears throat> right? He's there finally caught up, right? A little out of shape. All right, and when he gets there, Simon Peter arrived. He pushes past John. And I just love this moment. And he go, it's where John was looking on the, uh, kind of looking and assessing Peter, getting, uh, and he goes inside. He goes inside. Uh, wants to look more closely. It says, it says that then Simon Peter arrived and he went inside and he also noticed the linen wrappings that were lying there. Those were the things that they had used to cover Jesus. Remember, they had rolled Jesus up with linen, his dead body. It was fast. It wasn't like the normal traditions because they didn't have a lot of time, but it was done with affection, but it was done fast. That's why the women wanted to come and finish the job properly, but they couldn't do it till later. They needed permission to even do it, but they were going to do it if they could, and that's when they discovered the body was missing. But now John's looking, Peter's looking at this, and he can see things. In fact, what he sees is the cloth that had covered Jesus' head. So he sees two things. He sees the linen wrappings lying there. Um, okay, and, he, and look what it says. As he... And while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up, lying apart from the other wrappings. No, it wasn't like, um, if you, it wasn't like they're saying it got folded up like a towel, um, like you would take a thing, fold it up. What it's saying is it, it had the, the entire appearance of the linen was as if it was full in folds, not in crumpled mess thrown to the side, like someone had ripped it off. It was as if what was in it was gone. And all that was left were the pieces in their folded positions because what they had been wrapped around was gone. So again, imagine it. What was in, those are the folds. And Peter sees it. And now, and we know from the account in, in uh, I believe it's Luke's account, we know that in Luke's account 24, 20, I thought I'd ask them if they could put it up. We know that Peter is not sure what he's witnessed. He, it says here, look, he, he goes home. So what he does is he walks out of there. Maybe John says, hey, what, what, what's going on? I, 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 just, I, I, just, I just need some time to think. And he's wondering. He's marveling. He's, he's, what was that? What, what happened? Now, look what it says John does. So, Peter wanted, but it says that, but for then, okay, it says, then the disciple, first, this is verse 8. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, there it is again, all right. <laughs> That's great, John. All right, and went in, but now, okay, so now Peter goes out, 
There's some, I just got to think about it. John goes in. Well, I'm going in too. And he, now look what it says. Look what John says about himself. He went in, and when he saw it, he says, he, he believed. Now, here's the thing. He made, he made the leap. He wasn't, he's alive. He's alive, as he said. Now, up, now notice, John adds this to it. He says, look, up until then, we still hadn't understood the scriptures that had said Jesus must rise from the dead. There was no real sense. They had never connected it. They weren't getting it. It never made sense to them. For up until then, they just didn't get it. But now then, they went home. John now believes. And one of the things that Jesus had done consistently was allude to his resurrection and his rising. But he had never really specifically opened up the Old Testament and connected them prophetically to his rising. This he would soon do. But the point is being made here is that John's faith is birthed out of what he sees. That's what John's getting at. He's saying that my faith, the, I believe based on what I saw in the tomb and the way that the linens had, had been placed, not taken off, not unwrapped. No, I believed in that moment, I got it. That's what he says. And so his, his birth in his faith, if you will, is... is because of what he sees, the empty tomb, the shroud, the head wrap. Remember, and remember, the stone, it was rolled away. The seal was broken, not to let Jesus out, but that those who believed in him could come in. There's a very big difference. He was gone. He was risen. It had been the ultimate sign. In truth, the resurrection of Jesus is the center and heart of Christianity. And the, you, without the resurrection there is no need to follow Jesus. He is only and finally a good teacher, but unfortunately, self-deluded. He is only at times a good teacher, but unfortunately, either he knew he was lying or he was so self-deceived that he was lying. Everything depends on the resurrection. Do we understand that? Everything. By the way, the disciples would have known. Later on, the early church will decide because they don't get to say, we believe in Jesus' resurrection, so now we get to be made wealthy men. No, and or women. What happens is they, on the basis of their confession of Jesus as the risen Savior, are persecuted and in many times killed. They have nothing to gain financially at all, zero. There is nothing, no benefit to them. They die in distant places, <laughs> never even some of them seeing each other again on the basis of one confession. We believe Jesus is the risen Savior. Now, here's the thing. It's one thing to die for something when you believe it's true, but it isn't true, which is happening right now all over the world. It's another thing to die for something that you know isn't true. And they would have known it. But they are willing to give their life and lose everything they have for the one confession that we saw the risen Jesus. And you know what ends up happening? It ends up birthing an amazing, stunning movement that has changed our world on the basis of the love of God. It's power. No, later on in, in Acts 2, Peter, the same Peter, would say these words. And I asked him if they put it up in, in, in Acts 2.24. And I just wanted to say them. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. I love that. It could not. Back to verse 10. We'll move this quick. Then they went home. They had been processing. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying as she wept. 
Remember, she had stooped, looked in. The Bible doesn't even try to explain it. It just puts it right out there. She saw two white-robed angels. One, she didn't think they were angels, but the one was sitting on the, at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? Which is... And the angels ask, because they've, they've taken away my Lord. She is a person in emotional trauma. And she's, she's like totally, uh, you know, just e emotionally overwhelmed, not only because of his death, but now because of the dear disappearance. All I wanted to do was honor him, and I can't even do that. So she's not even thinking, well, who are you? She's just going, well, what, what have they taken him? And then and she turned to leave, and she saw, I love this, she turned to leave and she saw someone standing there and it was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. And I wonder if there are times when the Lord is with us and we do not recognize it. I wonder if there are times in our lives where we are so distraught and he is right with us and we do not recognize it. But he's there. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, what are you looking for? Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener, says. Because <laughs> imagine, sir, they've, I, she's just distraught. Sir, they've taken my, they've taken, they've taken him away. And, and, and I, tell me if you know where they put him. Not, she's not looking for the living Jesus, by the way. Just wants to know where the body is. Can you do that? I just, I'll, I'll, I'll go and I'll get him. And then the word, the word, Mary. I don't even know how you said it. Mary. Mary. <laughs> I don't know. Just says Mary. Mary. But whatever the way he said it, because up until that point he's talking one way, she doesn't know who he is, thinks he's the gardener. But when he says her name, just as real, there are going to be times. Listen, some of you may get this, some of us may not. It's okay. But I'll tell you, when it comes to the adventure of following Jesus, there are going to be times in the middle of our life where we're going to hear the Lord whisper our name. And we will know. Mary. Rabboni. Teacher. And then the story goes on. Beautiful, right? It's a beautiful moment. I say that just to close with these things, because, you know, we've been interacting in the last few weeks, and I want to bring it all the way back to transformation. So just stay with me. This is Easter. Just a, couple, a little more time to get in this, all right? A <laughs> couple of things to note. Some of them, listen, some of us will connect to one or two of these. Others of us, it might be something different. I don't know. Listen to the Lord through the fabric of our life, wherever we are. Here's a couple of things to consider. Number one. We're all different, especially in terms of our faith capacity and the way we process things, the way we struggle to believe. Some of us, so the, the way we come to faith. Some of us, you can see this, some of us are like John. What happens with John? John gets there, he looks, he assesses, there's a, he's a certain intellectual component to him. He, he looks at what he sees, he, look, he considers the evidence, and you know what he does? He believes, just like that, he believes. He tells us, right there, I knew, I believed. Faith, listen, faith came easy to him. Some of us, faith comes easy. P 
Peter, what about Peter? No, Peter, no, he's a whole, I suppose, a whole other story. But some of us, we need to work it through, right? We need to think. We need to ponder. Well, how did Peter go? Peter saw the same thing John saw. But what does he do? He walks away. He, he's, he's pondering. He's wondering. He's thinking. He's reflecting. He's got to work it over. It's not right away. Faith didn't come right away. It doesn't come right away. In fact, it's not going to come later on until Jesus works it through him. And then the last thing is we notice is, is others. Sometimes some of us, listen, we're going to relate to usually one of these three. Some of us are more like Mary. Maybe we, 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 the way we tend to experience God best is through our emotions. And by the way, I've heard some people say, well, emotions. Look, it's intellect has value. It's not an either or. Um, God wants us to have a rational, intelligent faith capable of being able to explain itself. But I'll tell you, there's also the gift of tenderness. And to be able to weep before the Lord and realize how much we need his grace, to be able to have a tear into our eye. Do we understand what it is like when we really understand how much we've been loved? The one who has been forgiven much loves much. There's room for both room for both. Secondly, the Lord, I love this, the Lord will always meet us where we are. And in that place, he has a unique word for us. By the way, it will be different usually based on where we are in our journey of faith and slash our season of life. But that's often where the Lord will meet us in these change places or trauma places. And in those places, he will give us a word, but that word will be different. It'll be just for us. He loves us the same, but he treats us all different. To John, nothing need be said. Love is enough. To Mary, right, drowning in her sorrow, a word must be spoken. He speaks her name. To Peter, not one word or sentence would be enough because the guy's broken on the inside. Even if Jesus isn't alive, is, a, is alive, it doesn't change the fact that a part of him is dead. And that part is worthless. Unredeemable. And so Jesus is going to have to work with him to get him past him into the new thing that he wants to do. The Lord will meet us. Are there some of us? We may be in a certain place in our journey. God has a word for us. He wants to meet us. He's not at, he's got, some of us might be in a particular season of our life, and we're going, this is hard. This is hard. You know, he has a, a word for us. He wants to meet us right there. Thirdly, check this out. I'll put it up. His resurrection is meant to be experienced, you guys. Think about this. Not just afar, but in personal ways. Not just intended to be a religious formality. I get it. The empty tomb is not designed to lead us into an empty religion. Do we understand that? The empty tomb is not designed to lead us into an empty religion that is only based around certain rituals and, 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 and creeds. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm okay with both those things, but not at the expense of the life of God. Because at the end of the day, the life of God is in the relationship with him. And, and it's a relationship with a living Savior. A relationship that... What, that when it's working at its best, and I, and I recognize it doesn't always work at its best. But when it's working at its best, it brings us into a relationship with other people who experience him, and we have great joy together in following him in our imperfections and our woundedness. Um, it brings us into a hope, listen, stay with, it brings us into a hope beyond this life, and it brings us into a presence for this life. For some of us, because of where we are in our life, 
the hope beyond means a lot. I talk to people who can tell their bodies are betraying them. They won't be here long, even with a long life. Certain things we take for granted when we're younger, and I mean we take for granted. I say we figuratively, by the way, because I'm not one of the young ones anymore. But the fact of the matter is, in life, we take things for granted. And there's a certain point in life where we begin to yearn for the promise of new beginning. And that promise that is secured in the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate on Easter begins to mean so much more to us. New life, new possibility, new adventure. Wow, new body. Different but the same. For others of us, it's his presence that means something. His presence is like right where I'm at in this broken world of mine. And I get it. You know why? Because when we're in this life, a lot of times we're thinking, well, you know, this is, this is all I know. This is all I know. I don't want to be thinking about like something that's, I, I mean, I don't even know what it's like. All I know, about, you know, this is a world of ours, as imperfect as it is. And it's scary at times. And we read about it a lot. And we're more insulated here, no question. But you know what? This is all we know. Good or bad, it's all we know. It's what we know. And no, we know Jesus said there's more to come. But... And I believe him, but boy, you know, this is what I know. And the Lord will say, yes, okay. But while you were living this life, I want to walk with you. Through the ups, listen, and the downs. I will never leave you. If you will have me, wow, the divine humility, there it is again. If you will have me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always. Wow. Last thing, and we'll leave it here. His rising is meant to be transformative. Now we've come full circle. Now the, the circle closes. What do I mean by that? Just, okay, stay with it. Because Jesus at his death transformed the meaning of life. And he longs to breathe that life, his life, into the places and spaces of our life. There is no place where the light won't shine. His glory, there is no place where his glory cannot invade. Think about it. I was, telling this with my, I was talking to my wife about this. I said, the tomb was utterly dark, totally dark. When it got closed, there was no light, utterly dark. And into that dark place, right? Listen, the light shut out, nothing but darkness. And then what happens? Light overwhelmed it. Light overwhelmed it. It transformed it from a, a, a death tomb to a life room. Just like that. Darkness goes. Light comes. Life flows. Death tomb, life room. That's what happened with Jesus. And I'm telling you something. He still transforms the dark places. This is what got me really excited. If we let him into the dark, if we let him into the scary, if we let him into the places that are like dungeon like way deep in there that no one we don't want anybody to go to places where we're afraid places that that are that scare us intimidate us to seek to define us um you know th those places the light if we'll let the light in there god can do amazing things it's what he does he brings life he still transforms dark, dark places and so i ask the question loved ones are there dark and hidden places inside of us that god's trying to get his light into or the life, the transforming life of Jesus? Do we feel like we've been shut in? Do we feel like we've shut some things down? Are there some areas in our life where we go, 
no, nothing can ever help me there. Yes, it can. The light and life of Jesus can come there and change things. But you don't know how broken, you don't know how, you don't know. It does, there is nothing that can keep out the light. Nothing. He can do it. He can do it. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. He can bring the light. That's what he does. He's the light and life giver. Let's pray. We'll have our time of giving and song together. Lord, we thank you because on this Easter, we mark the moment. We not only mark the moment of what you've done, but we mark the moment of what you can do in us as well. And we remember all those who've hurt, been hurt and are hurting right now because of their, their confession of your name. People die in some parts of the world for that. But we haven't been asked to die physically, but we have been asked to surrender our lives to you so that you can shine into our life in ways that are transformative. And so help us not to be afraid, but to trust the one who can bring life into the darkest places and the struggling places and the joyful places and whatever else it is that we can get ourselves afraid of. We can do it fast. Come life giver. We celebrate you. We love you. The one who has risen, would you arise in us? In the name of Jesus, I pray this, Lord. Amen and amen. All right.